Hello. Greetings, friends. My name's Lou, and today I'm going to be reading the internet for you. Not necessarily the internet proper, but a book that I discovered on the internet, and might as well be, of the internet for how ridiculous it is. So, first let me welcome you to this broadcast of Lou Reads the Internet on Steam. Nope, not Steam, Twitch. If you are listening, and I know no one is listening yet, please consider telling me if you can um, hear me or not. Because I think this is the second time I've done this, and I'm not sure I'm doing it right. I can see myself on the stream, but uh, that doesn't mean nothing, as far as I can tell. Okay, great. So, why are we here? Well, we're here because I'm going to be reading to you from a book I discovered. Where did I discover it? I forget where I saw it originally, but I have shared it on the Facebook page for Lou Reads and several other places. This is, of course, the book we call The Human Centipede by Adam Millard. Millard? Millard? Ah, oh, Millard, milady. It's spelled like Millard. Let's get right into the story of the human centipede. Now, this is, of course, uh, a book that was released in 2014. I had never heard of it until recently, but um, we're going to be reading from The Human Centipede. Beginning now, The Human Centipede by Adam Millard, copyright 2014. This edition, published 2014 by Crowded Quarantine Publications, the moral right of the author has been asserted. I guess that is something that people do with books. All characters in this publication are fictitious, and any resemblance to real persons, living or dead, is purely coincidental. So if you feel like this is a book that is um, maybe too close to home in your life, it's coincidental. Okay, so no part of this may be reproduced. I apologize in advance. I will be reading off of a Kindle and not on the screen. If you have anything you want to say to me, you can always ask me in the chat room here located in the uh to the right of your twitch thingamabobber and if you have amazon prime you have an you already have an account you just have to log in with amazon prime it's so easy to do anyway who doesn't have amazon prime i mean really you're just being difficult at this point okay so what we'll do now is we will read this book the human centipede by adam millard and it goes a little something like this and, yeah, like I said, if you are watching, please tune in. Uh, I'm going to post this real quick in the Facebook page. Word up. There we go. Okay. So, it begins with these quotes. The Human Centipede by Adam Millard. A good many things go around in the dark beside Santa Claus, Herbert Hoover. Everything is theoretically impossible until it is done. Robert A. Heinlein. Elves shouldn't be treated like shit. We're not Mexicans. Finkelfoot. They say, whoever they are, that a book should never begin with a description of the weather. It's one of those important rules, like never kicking off with an epilogue or an afterword. However, it was snowing so heavily in the land of Christmas that whoever they are would most likely disregard such a ridiculous rule and instead try to figure out why so much fluffy white stuff was falling from the sky. 
It was not unknown for it to snow in the land of Christmas. In fact, it snowed all year round, except on the odd day where it simply threatened to. It was, however, strange for it to piss it down so heavily that you could barely make out the village at the bottom of the hill or the brightly colored light stretching from one house to the next. Somewhere beneath that perfect white blanket were a thousand elves. Elves. All of them want wandering the same thing. Is a misspelled word. Uh... How long can an elf last on a diet of snow cone and elf faces? What's it doing out there? Trixie asked, putting down her book and removing her spectacles. She was ranked in the upper echelon of elfdom, which meant that she could afford books and spectacles to her heart's contents. Sometimes she bought books she didn't even read and glasses she never wore. But that's what happens when elves become successful. The fact that her husband, Finkelfoot, was one of Santa's favorite foremen might have had a little something to do with it. Oh, it's bleeding lovely, Finkelfoot said, peeling his face from the frozen glass comprising their living room window. Nothing but nude beaches and pina coladas. Hang on. He held a small hand up before adding, I thought I saw David Hasselhoff running down the street with an inflatable red float. Trixie shook her head. No need to be like that, she said. I was just making polite conversation. She picked up her book, something about 50 gray sheds, though quite why she was reading about drab garden structures, Finklefoot didn't know, and pretended to read it. Finklefoot knew she was pretending, for her glasses remained on her lap, and her eyes were about as useful as a chocolate radiator without them. Great, Finklefoot thought, suddenly feeling very guilty. I'm sorry, love. I didn't mean to be a dick. I'm just fed up. We've got less than a week to go before Christmas Eve, and we can't even get up to the workshop. If it doesn't knock off soon, we'll be too far behind with the toys to catch up. It'll be another one of those years. He was, of course, referring to 1999. Two entire gangs of elves had gone on strike three days before the big one, leaving the workshop 19 million toys short. Finklefoot and his team had to improvise, knocking together toys from remaindered bits and thingamabobs. In the end, the Furby went on to be rather successful, but it had been touch and go there for a moment. The last thing Finklefoot wanted was a repeat. It'll stop soon, Trixie said, and enjoy the break while it lasts. The fat bastard hardly pays us enough to lose sleep over a shortfall. In fact, Santa Claus, a.k.a. the fat bastard, didn't pay them at all. It was an elf's job to make toys, and if you refused to make toys, you were sent to the human world to star in pantomimes and horror films. They had all heard such terrible stories about Wizzle, brackets, human translation, Warwick Davis. One of their own, and one of Santa's former favorites, human children were intentionally frightened at bedtime with tales of giants and witches. The children of the land of Christmas were told stories of the former elf's fall from grace. But that's what happens when you don't conform. You end up in sitcoms with Ricky Gervais. You're right, Finklefoot said as he poured a large glass of eggnog. Personally, he hated the stuff, but it was either that or tap water, and he knew better than anyone not to touch the stuff. If all the elves in the land of Christmas were making toys, who the fuck worked at the water treatment plant. No one, that's who, which meant it was probably about as safe to drink as an anthrax and acid cocktail. I just don't want to have to play catch-up. That's how mistakes happen. One minute you're working on a perfectly ordinary plastic doll, the next you're trying to pull a piece of Lego from its ass. And you know how stressed my gang are at the best of times. Rat only has to see the word overtime and his bowels give way. And the last time Gizzo was under pressure, he almost went around the slinky spindle. The only good thing about that would have been pushing him down the stairs to see if it worked. 
Then tell them to work safely and at their usual pace. Trixie knew that some of the elves only had two paces, slow and stop. If we're behind, when the big day arrives, then so be it. What's the fat bastard going to do, sack us? I'd like to see him try. If you hadn't noticed, us elves aren't knocking out babies like we used to. He'll have a hell of a game trying to replace us. He'll import elves from Poland, Finkelfoot said. They work at twice our speed and you can fit 50 of them into the house this size without them even complaining. Yeah, but will they be as loyal as us? Twice is loyal, Finkelfoot said, and less likely to steal the fat bastard's paperclips. Who's been stealing his paperclips? All of us. It was Finkelfoot's thought. It was the only way to make the job worthwhile. So it won't make a blind bit of difference to the fat bastard if he has to replace us. He'll save a fortune in office supplies and we'll be shipped off to the human world to play seven dwarves for the rest of our pitiful lives. Don't be so grumpy, Trixie said, pushing the specks onto her tiny face. Or sleepy or bashful, Finglefoot said, pacing nervously from one side of the room to the other. No, me and the boys are going to have to put in extra shifts to make this right. Santa's going to work us around the clock. Once this blizzard stops, I don't expect we'll see much of one another. That wasn't such a terrible thing as far as Finglefoot was concerned. He loved his wife dearly, but there were times when she simply just got on his tits. When you're married to such a person for three centuries, such things are unavoidable. I'll have a word with Jessica. She'll tell him to go easy on us. Jessica, or Mrs. Claus, according to the legend, was an ex-stripper and had the body to prove it. Many of the elves had the hots for her, and a couple had actually managed to penetrate her steely exterior. The thing about Mrs. Claus was that she had a short person fetish, and when Fat Bastard wasn't around, she made no effort to hide it. As far as Finglefoot knew, she'd already slept with Shart, Rat, and Gizzo. The only thing keeping Jessica from having a slice of him was sitting across the room, her nose pressed into a book about gray sheds. In the meantime, Trixie said, get some rest. You've been standing at that window for three days solid. I wouldn't mind if there's anything to see, but we're snowed in. Finglefoot tapped at the window, watched as a few particles of snow trickled down the tightly packed block pressed against the glass. You're right, he said, sighing. I'm going to bed. Wake me up when it's cleared up. And with that, Finglefoot was gone. Trixie listened to his footfall as it disappeared into the bedroom. Once she was certain he was gone, she put the book down and picked up a large candy cane, brackets six inches at least and a piece of tissue. She picked up the book once again and smiled. Just me and you now, she said, reaching down into her knickers where countless pleasures awaited. If only her husband's sobs weren't audible in the next room. It was awfully off-putting. That is the end of chapter one. Well, what did you think of that? I may be alone. I don't know if Trap Discipline in 710 is still watching. It is a weird, a weird book. There's a little sexuality happening. I wasn't, I, w I didn't know if I was expecting that. I mean, the implication is that uh, Trixie is going to penetrate herself with the candy cane. That's my assumption. I'm just not seeing you, Indo. On we go. Chapter 2. Santa Claus, brackets, a.k.a. the Fat Bastard, a.k.a. Kris Kringle, a.k.a. Father Christmas, a.k.a. He Who Shall Be Obeyed, watched as his wife erotically slid up and down the pole, throwing her long, slender legs in any direction they would go without snapping. She was a sight to behold, in a red, beautiful red-headed minx wearing traditional slutty Miss Claus garb. Brackets, you can pick it up from any land of Christmas sex shop, but this one was handmade and not particularly well, Santa thought, as it was missing the crotch. <laughs> Up she went, down she came, a delicious present that Santa would have normally looked forward to unwrapping. And yet, this snow was taking the piss. What's the matter, Jessica said, sliding down the pole. You look preoccupied. Santa sighed, his thick white beard did a little dance. Oh, it's nothing, he said, pushing himself up from his armchair. I guess I'm just not in the mood tonight. It's the weather, isn't it? Jessica slipped into a red and white robe around her shoulders and went to her husband's side. 
God, he was fat. He'd always been a little poorly, but the last few centuries, he'd really started to let himself go. It'll clear up soon. We can always start digging the elves out, or maybe just ship some Polish ones in to finish the job, Santa grunted. That would make sense, he said. I've heard they don't steal paper clips. See, Jessica said, rubbing his rotund tummy with perfectly manicured hands. Things are starting to look up already. Making his way across the room, Santa arrived at the bedroom window, slightly out of breath. I think it's stopping, he said, staring towards the sky. Was he just being optimistic? Was it ever going to stop? Were his staff okay down there, smothered with snow? He didn't know much about the weather. That wasn't his job. But he knew a thing or two about oxygen and what happened when it ran out. The last thing he needed was for the snow to clear, only to reveal a whole army of dead blue elves. Even the Polish contingency would be tough to put to work in place that had only recently generated a thousand deceased Smurfs. But the snow was stopping. For the last three days, thick sheets had rained down, and now... Now you could make out the stars in the sky. Jessica stretched a hand around and began to stroke her husband's underbelly. The fact that he even had one suggested she ought to start casting her net a little further. I've always got my elves, she thought, small in stature, but not in the trouser department. They satisfied her in ways her husband couldn't. She was particularly fond of Finkelfoot's crew. They seemed to know which way their bread was buttered. If only she could convince that foreman of theirs to get in on the action. I think everything's going to be okay, Santa said, a smile creeping into his face. Brackets beneath the beard, of course. For the first time that week. Oh, joyous occasion. Oh, how wonderful. Oh, by morning, my marvelous toy makers will be free. Free to return to work for no money and very little in the way of choice. Jessica Claus didn't think her husband quite grasped the concept of freedom. Oh, this is good news, Santa said, turning to his wife and pulling her into a tight hug. She could feel the erection through his jingling red trousers. Is that what I think it is, Jessica said, smiling, licking her lips sensually. Santa reached down and pulled free a rolled-up scroll. It was his good child-slash-bad child list. I must get back to work, he said, rushing across the room as fast as an overweight geriatric could. Oh, how wonderful! Oh, how remarkable! And then he was gone, leaving Miss Claus standing there half-naked and feeling generally unfulfilled. The sooner those elves are free, she thought, as a stirring in her loins sent a shudder coursing through her entire body, the better. That was the end of Chapter 2. If Santa Claus hadn't been busy celebrating... Oh, Chapter 3. If Santa Claus hadn't been busy celebrating the cessation of the blizzard in his study with a large glass of brandy and a mince pie, and if Mrs. Claus hadn't been feeling sorry for herself and yearning for the considerate and amatory touch of an elf, any elf, they might have noticed the dark cloaked figure moving through the land of Christmas below. They might have noticed it, or they might not, for the shrouded individual moved quickly, seemingly impervious to the snow beneath its feet. Hmm, spooky. The footprints the figure left were quickly and rather cleverly expunged by the contraption strapped to its back. Essentially, a snow shovel belted to a pair of whirling, battery-powered standing fans. It did the job for which it was built with a plum. There was no way the snow could betray him. No way they would ever know who he was, at least not until he was ready for them to... He... Uh, ready for them to know. Yeah, you, you get that sentence. He looked forward to that moment with an eagerness that had felt for many centuries it would be like Christmas to him, but then again, wasn't everything. Slipping between two chimney tops, which just went to show how deep the snow was, the figure sniggered quietly. Reaching into the large sack draped across the soldier, he pulled out a large shovel. It was the kind of shovel reserved for burying people, or hitting people devilishly hard across the back of the head, or decapitating mice. It wasn't, therefore, a shovel that had seen much in the way of gardening. Taking a deep breath and a snort of 
candy apple snuff, the cloaked figure began to dig and dig, 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 dig. After 15 minutes of laborious digging, the figure considered forgetting the whole thing and returning to his home, but a voice in his head reminded him why he was doing this, why he had to do it, and then he saw it again, the vile and beautiful and disgusting and wonderful and grotesque and gorgeous creation that had come to him just a few nights ago, an image so sickening and delightful that it would have given Satan himself nightmares. Switching the shovel to the other hand, the figure pressed on. Oh, it was going to be exquisite, and when it was complete stretching around the land of Christmas for all to see, brackets at least, all of those not partaking, he would climb onto the workshop roof and watch in admiration, watch as the fat bastard led the coiling worm through the streets, hollering out for help, begging for the perpetrator to unstitch him from such a foul and fetid fabrication. And he would laugh, and so on and so forth, for that was the kind of guy he was. Dig, 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 clunk. Jimbo, Sissy whispered in the dark. Jimbo, was that you? Something shifted beside her. Ugh, Jimbo said. Jimbo, did you just make a noise? She was up to her elbows now, glancing around at the shadows. What did it sound like? Jimbo groggily asked. Sissy shuddered. It sounded like a clunk. Did you just go clunk? Jimbo considered the question and arrived at a conclusion. In all my years of making noises in my sleep, he said, I don't think I've ever gone clunk. I don't think it was me. There was a moment of silence and then the sound of snoring. Jimbo, Sissy said, nudging her husband hard in the ribs. Are you going to go check? Check on what, Jimbo said. I can't hear anything. Maybe you dreamt it and now could you please not elbow me in the ribs when I am trying to sleep? It's awfully painful and not at all what one might expect from his beloved. If you don't get your ass up right now and check on what's going clunk, I'll cut your little elf cock off and mail it to your mother. Jimbo swung his legs out of bed. I'm up, I'm up, dreary me. Why's it always gotta be about mailing severed body parts to my mother with you, huh? Just go and find out what went clunk, Sissy said. I don't want to live in a house that makes strange noises. Jimbo headed for the door, a door that he could barely discern through the gloom. There was no light coming through any of the windows, thanks to the snow, which meant the house was in a state of perpetual darkness apart from the twinkling red and green bulbs on the tree. But that was in the living room. Jimbo had stubbed his toe stumped. Jimbo had stumped his toe four times before he made it out to the hallway and collapsed in an untidy pile, clutching at his foot and sucking air through his clenched teeth. Was that you? His wife asked from the bedroom. What did it sound like? Jimbo said, grimace, still grimacing. Bump, clobber, shit that hurt, bump, hiss, Sissy said. Yep, that was me, Jimbo said, clambering painfully to his feet. Can I come back to bed now? Have you found the source of the clunk? Jimbo sighed and shook his head. He was about to tell his wife exactly what he thought of her when he heard it. A clunk, followed by a terrible scraping noise. In the other room, Sissy crawled beneath the sheets. Now that he'd heard him for himself, Jimbo moved across the hallway with extreme caution. In fact, so careful was he that he was hardly moving at all. The way he saw it, the slower he moved, the longer it would be before whatever had gone clunk ate him. Unfortunately, the thing that had gone clunk had other ideas. A huge, dark-cloaked figure emerged from the, into the living room, stepping out into the hallway like a pro wrestler climbing into the ring. Jimbo made a noise he never heard before. Ah, the shadowy hulk hissed as it glowered down at the elf. Then there was a sack and the intruder was opening it, and Jimbo, frozen stiff with fear, couldn't do anything but watch. Be a good chap and get in the sack. Now, Jimbo, who was a quarter of the size of the assailant and nowhere near as menacing, brackets elves are many things, but foreboding isn't one of them, figured that he had three options. Firstly, he could attempt to talk to the invader. Some things could be settled with a nice mug of eggnog and a slice of pud, or probably pud, Miss English. 
World War III was rumored to have been abandoned over a nice cup of tea and a wedge of Battenberg. Option two was to do what the intruder said, but Jimbo wasn't keen on the idea of willingly setting into the sack, getting into the sack, since nothing good could possibly come of it. He was hardly going to be whipped off to some sun-kissed island for a fortnight of mojitos and all-you-can-eat teppanyaki. Jimbo didn't realize he'd already set option three into effect until he was running for the bedroom. There's nowhere to hide, the deep gruff voice said behind him. Nowhere to run. Sissy, Jimbo said, arriving at the marital bed. I found the thing that went clunk. Dread washed over him as he realized his wife was no longer cowering beneath the covers. She was gone, kaput, as if consumed by the mattress. It was an odd thing for the mattress to do, but this was the land of Christmas where anything was possible. Don't make this any harder than it has to be, the dark figure said, stepping in through the bedroom door, which was far too small for such a colossal being. And yet it fit anyway, as if its bones contracted and disconnected on one side of the frame and recoupled on the other. It was a rather disturbing thing to watch like one of those jihadi beheading videos or a Miley Cyrus concert. Is this a link? Oh, no, this is something other people have highlighted in the book, I see. Please don't kill me, Jimbo said, climbing onto the bed. It was probably not the best move considering the thing had just devoured his wife. I'm just an elf and not even a good one at that. Oh, you're not going to die, the beastly thing said. You're going to evolve. Frowning, Jimbo said, but evolution takes place over the course of centuries with minute changes occurring in each generation. Yes, awfully tedious process, isn't it, the figure said. So hop in the sack so we can get the show on the road. Jimbo wasn't certain, but he thought he saw a smile beneath the dark hood. Jimbo sighed and lowered himself down over the edge of the bed. As long as there's no death involved, he said. He skulked across the room and was about to leap into the intruder's wide open sack when he saw her above the door hanging there like some tiny superhero. Sissy! The bed hadn't swallowed her after all. Which was great news since beds were so damn expensive to replace. Hiya! Sissy said, bringing her hands down into a chop as she leapt from the wall. Unfortunately, she hadn't had much practice with home invasions, and the intruder was just so damn big, she bounced off his shoulder, rolled down his arm, and landed upside down in the sack. Jimbo shrugged and smiled sheepishly. Don't worry, sissy, he said. I'm coming too. And with that, he climbed headfirst into the sack. Two pairs of legs kicked and thrashed as the sack's drawstring sealed them in. The figure grinned, for he had his first elves. The ghastly creation was underway, or it would be once he got this pair back to his lair. He laughed and laughed and coughed a little before laughing some more. The end of chapter three. A well-earned beer break, I think. So if you're watching, and I doubt that you are, please... Let me know what you think so far. Is it enthralling? I can't tell if you're liking it or not, or if I'm alone, uh, which is probably the case, but I have to pretend people are there. Otherwise, I'll be too sad. <laughs> All right. So on to chapter four. Okay. Chapter four. This is a public service announcement from the fat best. I mean, Santa. Clause. All elves are, are to report to the workshop this morning. Failure to report will result in loss of job, loss of house, loss of pension, loss of respect, and loss of tenure in the land of Christmas. The blizzard is over, people. It's time to get back to work. Finglefoot and Trixie arrived at the workshop early, and yet not as early as some of the others who were already settling down at their stations with mugs of steaming eggnog. Conveyor belts were already moving, shifting partially completed toys from one section to another. On the radio, an elfish version of Ding Dong Merrily on High played on loop 
and would continue to play until someone decided to change the tape. It seemed everyone was eager to get back to work, eager to gain back the 72 hours they'd lost, eager to put Christmas back on schedule. I'll see you in 12 hours, Trixie said, kissing her husband tenderly on the cheek. A couple of his gang watching from across the room began to laugh, but Finklefoot didn't care. They could go fuck themselves. When he reached his section, Finklefoot began assigning the shift's jobs. Rat, I want you on heads, arms, and legs. Nothing gets past you with an appendage missing. If there are any dolls or teddies in the reject bin at the end of the shift, I'll make it my personal goal to convince the fat bastard that a career in human Hollywood is all you're cut out for. Yes, boss, Rat said, snapping his feet together and saluting Finklefoot. Shart, Finklefoot said, turning to an elf that had a face only a mother could love. You're on batteries. What's the most important rule about batteries? Shart grinned. I'm to remove them from every third box, making it a nightmare for some parents on Christmas morning. Finklefoot nodded. Gizzo, you'll be in the wood construction with me. We've got three million plywood cars and planes to put together this morning and another eight million this afternoon. You up to the job? Gizzo pulled a screwdriver from a pocket on the front of his green dungarees. I feel the need, he said, the need for speed. Quite where he'd got such a silly line from, Finglefoot didn't know. Right, the foreman said, that blizzard has royally fucked us over and it's going to take a miracle to get back on track. Not a miracle per se, just a lot of elbow grease and as few interruptions as possible. Finglefoot, a voice said. It was a beautiful voice and one with which he was very familiar. He glanced up to see Mrs. Claus leaning sumptuously over the railing above, her long red hair tucked down behind her ears. She had gone to town on her makeup and it didn't take a genius to figure out why. The last three days must have been hell for her. What with being marooned with the fat bastard and the lack of elf cock. Santa would like to have a word with you. And with that, she was gone. On the workshop floor, a thousand male elves adjusted their erections to a less painful position. Position. Whore, Finklefoot said. She knows exactly what she's doing. I like her, Gizzo said. She does this thing with her mouth, kind of like a suck but a blow at the same time, and it... <clears throat> Finklefoot said, cutting the elf off mid-sentence. He marched towards the steel steps at the end of the workshop, ignoring the boisterous chuckles from his gang. This meeting was going to be a nightmare. Ah, Finklefoot, my good elf, Santa said, as Finklefoot stepped into his office. How good to see you. My, how you've changed. Have you put on height? The fat bastard poured himself a large brandy. Something about the way he had moved across the office, glass in hand, told Finklefoot it wasn't his first of the morning. Over in the corner, Mrs. Claus threw herself around a pole. Finklefoot couldn't help but notice that one of her breasts had fallen out. On purpose? I'd offer you a drink, Santa said, but you've got a lot of work to get through today, and the last thing we want is something terrible happening to our most productive elf. Finklefoot felt something akin to pride wash over him. He was and had been the most productive elf for nigh 200 years. In any other profession, that would have been rewarded with a handsome pay raise or even a promotion. But being one of Santa's elves was like being an elephant masturbator. A lot of hard work with very little in the way of benefits. What's this about, sir? Finglefoot asked. I've got a lot of work to be getting on with, and he trailed off suddenly, mesmerized by the stripping Mrs. Claus in the corner of the room. Well, Santa said, sipping his brandy, I was just wondering if you if you and your gang would like to put in a few extra shifts, say 12 of them, you know, just to get back on track. Finglefoot grimaced. 12 extra shifts, he said, on top of what we're already doing? That's right, Santa said, to catch up, so to speak. But that would mean working solidly around the clock until Christmas Eve, Finglefoot frowned. Santa laughed like the jolly fat bastard he was. Oh, yes, you're right. He took another long slug from his glass. Finglefoot watched as the brandy soaked into his boss's silver beard. It's either that or we'll have to ship in some Polish elves, and I know how you all feel about that. They're very good at not stealing paperclips, Finklefoot said. I've heard that too, Santa said with a nod and a smile. So what do you say? Care to pull us out of this shit just once? Wait, pull the... Pull the 
what care to pull us out the shit just this once just this once just this fucking once it wasn't just this once it was every year every year something went wrong every year someone fell into the poster paint vat every damn year some fool accidentally put the voice of osama bin laden in the tickle me elmos Last year, Rudolph had been unable to pull the sleigh after the other reindeers had deemed him worthy of a jolly good buggering. It was always something different. Always something, and this year was no different. We'll do it, Finklefoot said. What choice did he have? If it wasn't his gang working overtime, it would be someone else's. At least this way it would be in his hands. He would save Christmas, as he always did, on his own terms. Marvelous, Santa said, patting Finklefoot on top of his head. I knew I could rely on you to make this right. Behind her husband's back, Mrs. Claus twisted her exposed nipple and licked her lips. Finklefoot crossed his legs and said, there will be conditions. Santa, who had been refilling his glass at the Christmas light-adorned bar, turned and frowned. My little fellow, you're hardly in any position to barter. I thought I made myself perfectly clear. Make the toys or star in the next George Lucas blockbuster. Poor Wizzle, Finklefoot thought. He must have been a little ball of sweat wearing that insidious Ewok suit. We both know the rules don't apply to me, he said, hoping that he was right. I'm what they call in the trade indispensable. Without me, every Christmas would be another Easter, just a boring thing with cards and chocolate. Santa's lips curled ever so slightly into a sneer. Go on, he said. For the next century, no elf is to be banished to the human world, no more Star Wars, no more Harry Potter, no more Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, and no more body doubling for Tom Cruise. Elves shouldn't be treated like shit. We're not Mexicans. Santa scowled. Now most people are accustomed to the jolly red-cheeked version of Santa Claus. Christmas cards wouldn't quite sell as well if they featured the expression that he currently wore. That's all very well and good, Santa said, his eyebrows knitted together, but how else will we punish the slackers? You could try not punishing them, Finklefoot said. It was a long shot, but worth a try. Three lashes with a thorny tree and a force-fed plate of holly, Santa said, and that's my final offer. Finklefoot sighed. Two lashes and a mince pie with bobble glass in it. Santa smiled. You drive a hard bargain, elf. That's why you're my number one. Then why do I always feel like number two? Then I'd better get to work. He turned and headed for the door, unsure how the rest of the gang were going to take the news. Just before he reached the door, though, it flew open, and there stood Ahura, the forelady of the Jigsaw Puzzle section. She looked horrified, as if she'd only just realized she was an elf after years of believing she was human. Uh, in the corner, Mrs. Claus threw a hand over her exposed nipple. As much as she loved elves, she wasn't of that persuasion. There will be a very good reason as to why you've barged into my office unannounced, Santa said, crushing a glittery purple ball in his giant hand and allowing the tiny shards to fall through his grasp and sprinkle onto the floor. Terrible news, Ahora squeaked. Sissy and Jimbo haven't turned up for their shift. Oh, this is awful. They were on cutting duty. Without them, we're just making cardboard pictures. Santa rolled his eyes. Remind me again, he said, which ones are Sissy and Jimbo? Small people. Finklefoot said. Pointy ears, wear a lot of red and green. He was, of course, being sarcastic, but the fat bastard didn't seem to notice. Ah, yes, Jimbo and, um, sissy. Small pointy ears, yes. He sipped thoughtfully at his brandy while Ahura skipped nervously from one foot to the other in the doorframe. I will have to arrange for someone to pay them a visit. Make sure they are aware that, that we're back at full steam today. Finklefoot edged slowly towards the door. Finklefoot! Santa said, so suddenly that Mrs. Claus almost fell off her pole. Be a good chap and pay a visit to the missing couple before you begin your tremendously tiring shift. Take a thorny tree with you just in case. Finklefoot thought about arguing, but it would be futile. Besides, the walk would do him good, clear his head, so to speak, before embarking on another mother-of-all shifts. 
The absent pair had probably just overslept. Yes, that was all. It was lazy bastards. Always something. Finklefoot thought as he pushed past Ahura and headed out onto the steel mezzanine. Always fucking something. Chapter five. I wish I could have this higher. So are you enjoying it? I don't know if you are. (laughs) No one is here. As far as I can tell, only 39 people reached. You know, if Facebook is really pissing me off with how shitty it is about spreading the news. All right, let's get back to the book, shall we? All righty. And uh, feel free to chime in if you so like. As you know, we are reading The Human Santipede by Adam Millard. Okay, we're back. Chapter 5. The land of Christmas was back to normal, inasmuch as you could see the village and the lights and you didn't have to worry about drowning in 12 feet of snow. Trucks beeped through the streets. Beep, beep. This vehicle is reversing as pathways were cleared to reveal the cobbled ground. Of course, the trucks were unmanned automatons since every elf in the land of Christmas was employed by Santa Claus, Inc. and therefore required to make toys up at the workshop. Other than Finklefoot, there wasn't a soul in sight. It was quite unsettling. And as Finklefoot walked through the ominous streets, he found himself checking over both shoulders. Hmm. It was silly, really. There hadn't been a crime in the land of Christmas for many years. If you don't count stealing paper clips, it's not in the book. It's just an aside. And that is if you could call leaving a fiery bag of reindeer poop on someone's porch a crime. Statistics said you are more likely to die in a sleigh crash than be murdered in the village. But again, Finklefoot was wary. If everyone was up at the workshop, who had time to conduct statistical surveys? After almost being squashed flat by one of the automaton snow clearers, brackets never trust a robotic truck when it indicates left, Finklefoot arrived at the residence of the missing elves. The sign screwed into the door said Sisbo, an amalgamation of their respective names. Fucking tacky, if you ask me, he muttered, even though no one had asked him anything. He knocked three times and waited, huffing a plume of frozen breath at the ostentatious sign. He wondered how his gang was getting on. They hadn't been best pleased with him when he had left, as if he should have told the fat bastard where to go with his extra shifts. He hoped, brackets yet doubted, they would have calmed down by the time he got back. There was nothing worse than working in that atmosphere. It was an extremely counterproductive. Jimbo, sissy, he called through the door. Sisbo, worth a try. When there was no reply, he reached down and turned the knob, expecting to meet resistance. When the door eased inward, Figglefoot audibly gasped. Crime was non-existent in the land of Christmas, as it had already been established. But that didn't mean elves went around leaving their doors unlocked willy-nilly. People liked their privacy, especially married people who liked to occasionally engage in acts that single people could only fantasize about. Finklefoot was suddenly very aware that he was standing in the absent couple's hallway. My God, what if they're copulating? What if I'm here standing in their house and they're bumping fuzzies in the bedroom? He wasn't a prude. Far from it, in fact. Trixie had once allowed him to pop it in the other hole, but that didn't mean he wanted to barge in on Jimbo if he was taking the old one-eye to the optometrist. Hello? Yes, it was best to call out, give them a chance to get dressed or to finish or to uncuff themselves. It's Finklefoot. I'm in your house. You left your front door open and now I'm in your house. That ought to do it, he thought. And yet when nobody replied, his heart sank. Okay, he said, moving slowly along the hallway. I'm now walking along your hallway with the intention of entering your bedroom. If you are in the middle of fornication, I would very much like you to stop what you're doing and put some clothes on. Silence. Well, this is the this is just effing wonderful, Finklefoot thought. He reached the bedroom door. He knew it was the bedroom door because all the houses in the land of Christmas were of the same design. The only way you could tell one from the other was by its decor. And even then, it was either glittery green, sparkly red, harvest gold, or white. He knocked 
Last chance to spit out the butt plugs. When there was no reply, he turned the knob and pushed. The door opened onto an unmade bed, which was odd because elves were sticklers for tidiness. It came with the territory, like the pointy ears, rosy red cheeks, and propensity to fall down the, fall down the toilet. This bed, though, was definitely unmade. It was so unmade that Finklefoot had to fight the urge to rush across the room and make it. Hello, he said to the empty room. Elves, though small, would find it extremely difficult to hide in their panty drawers, which meant that this room was very much empty. An empty room, an unmade bed, a pair of missing elves. Can I help you? Oh, all right. See, this is what happens when you live in a house, in a small apartment, in New York City. I'm I'm streaming and I'm reading an inappropriate book. Okay. Which is why I'm asking why you're out here at uh, quarter to midnight. Mhm, good night. A chore. Anyway, where was I? An empty room and unmade bed. A pair of missing elves. It's a sign it's Christmas again, Finklefoot muttered, shaking his head in despair. What was he going to tell the fat bastard? Something strange had happened here? Something that had prevented two of Ahura's jigsaw squad from making their bed as soon as they'd climbed out of it? And now they were M-I-A or M-I-N-A, brackets, missing in non-action, as it were. And Finklefoot had a thousand and one things he needed to be doing, things he'd much rather be doing than chasing missing elves to the empty streets of the land of Christmas. After searching the rest of the house to no avail, Finklefoot stepped out into the cold, vaporous morning and closed the door behind him. There was a word for how he felt in that moment, but for the life of him, he couldn't think of it. Mystified, he said, yes, that would have to do. He began the short trek up the hill to where Santa sat in his workshop office, awaiting further news. That is the end of Chapter 5. Mm-hmm. Chapter 6 there's a word for how I feel right now, Jimbo said, squirming in the trestle table to which both he and his beloved wife had been strapped. Is it mystified? Sissy asked, trying to pull her arm free of its restraints. No, Jimbo said, it's fucked. I feel downright fucked. This wouldn't have happened if you clobbered in the hallway. There was a certain venom to Sissy's tone that Jimbo didn't appreciate. At least I didn't jump in the damn sack, Jimbo said. Yes, you did, Sissy said. You were in a few seconds after me. I mean, at least I didn't, you know what, I don't want to talk about it. Sissy glanced around the room. It was cold, very surgical, and not at all Christmassy. There were no lights, no decorations, nothing to suggest that they were even in the land of Christmas anymore. The only sound came from a slow, dripping tap on the other side of the room. At the front of the room, something was covered over with a black sheet. What do you think he wants with us? Sissy asked, unable to bear the silence any longer. I mean, we're good elves. This kind of thing shouldn't happen to good elves. We're not Mexicans. Jimbo tried to shrug, realized he couldn't, and settled for a sigh instead. Whatever it is, I don't think we're going to enjoy it. Maybe we should start screaming for help. I mean, we weren't brought far. We must still be in the land of Christmas. Someone's bound to hear us. The trouble with that, Sissy thought, was that the someone would most likely be the shrouded maniac, and the last thing they wanted to do was piss that guy off. He'll hear us. He'll hear us. And then whatever he was going to do with us, he'll just do worse. I think he's going to kill us. 
Chimbo said, which wasn't the best way to comfort one's wife. How can he possibly kill us worse than he was already going to? Sissy whimpered. This doesn't happen in the land of Christmas. This is like something out of a terrible movie, like one of those ones with the human kids and the inhuman killers. I don't want to end up roasting on an open fire, Jimbo. I've got too much to give. Just then, the door sprang open in the only way such doors spring, and, it, and in came the shrouded figure. Only now he was wearing a white apron and blue, and blue gloves, and neither Sissy or Jimbo thought he was a qualified baker, which meant, ah, how are my first two subjects on this fine morning? For a raging lunatic, he was awfully chipper. You won't get away with this, Sissy said, her head the only part of her off the table. If you let us go now, we'll forget all about it, won't we, Jimbo? Jimbo nodded. Forget about what? He said, winking at their captor. <laughs> that does sound like a very good deal, the beast said, as he began to unpack a small leather case that neither of the hostages had seen before. It seemed to contain a lot of sharp things, a lot of things designed to cut and carve and amputate. However, I brought you here for a reason. On the plus side, you won't be alone for long. Soon you'll be reunited with all of your friends. Better than reunited, you'll all be as one. Isn't that a lovely thought? Not really, Sissy said. We can't stand most of them. It's true, Jimbo added. If it wasn't for the fact we had to work with them every day, we wouldn't bother. There's nothing more annoying than elves. Tell me about it, the figure thought. Unfortunately, you're going to have to get used to the idea. He finished laying out the sharp cutting things and moved, danced across the room to where the black sheet hid whatever it was the black sheet hid. You should consider yourselves very lucky, as you are the first two elves to lay your eyes on my most marvelous creation. It's a very lovely sheet, Sissy said. Black's my third favorite color after topaz and mauve. Ah, the figure said, reaching up and stroking the corner of the sheet with long, slender fingers. It is nice, isn't it? I have it in green, too. And I... Wait a minute. This isn't about the sheet. I thought it was about the sheet, Jimbo said. This is all very confusing. I don't think... He's the full ticket, Sissy said. One minute he wants to talk about the sheet, the next minute he doesn't. To the dark shape with his face buried in his palm, he, she said, Have you ever been seen by a professional? Look, can we just stop talking for a moment? I've got a splitting headache, and I really thought this would go much smoother, the abductor sighed. And after a few seconds, he said, Right. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you... Is this about the sheet, Jimbo said? For fuck's sake, the figure said, yanking the sheet away from the thing it covered. It's about this, not the sheet. Nothing to do with the bastard sheet. What followed could only be described as an awkward silence. It was the kind of silence that could be heard in doctor's surgeries across the universe. The kind of silence that no one wanted to break, but someone always inevitably did. What is it, Jimbo asked, tilting his head sideways and staring at the rudimentary drawing. He could make out limbs, lots of limbs and beards, lots of beards, and even an antler or two. If it had been drawn by an elf child, the parent of said child would refuse to put it up on the fridge door. I think it's one of those arty-farty cubism thingamabobs, Sissy said. I liked it better with the sheet on it. This, the figure said, poking at the drawing so hard that he broke a nail, is a masterpiece. It is a marvel of modern-day surgery. It is history in the making. It is... A waste of good marker ink, Jimbo said. A waste of good mo No, the beast was losing his temper. Straightening up, he began pacing back and forth across the room. He thinks he's so high and mighty up there in his workshop, walking around as if he owns the place. Ho, ho, fucking ho. Well, not anymore. The time has come for a revolution. The time has come for Santa to suffer. The time has come for... Drawing lessons, Sissy said. I will kill you where you lie, the, sh the shrouded figure said. Sissy sensing he wasn't the type of maniac to throw threats around at random. Shut up. You, my little elf friends, are about to become the first pieces in this meaty jigsaw puzzle. He walked across the room, selected a blade from the vast array laid out on the table, and tested its sharpness with his finger. Before we begin, are either of you allergic to anything and or slash are vegetarian? 
Jimbo shook his head. I once had a funny turn after eating a piece of calendar chocolate, but don't we all? The figure growled, then let's make a start. Which one of you wants to be at the front? And that is the end of chapter six. We're making great progress. 21% through the book. I'm enjoying it. It's it's riveting. I mean, kind of know what's coming as far as uh, the title's a bit of on the nose as far as culturally and whatnot, but... You get the idea. Chapter 7. So what you're saying, Santa said, easing back into his throne and regarding Finklefoot with no small amount of suspicion, is that you found nothing that these elves have somehow simply ceased to exist. Is that correct? Finklefoot shrugged. He had arrived back at the workshop tired and breathless, and now he was facing the Xmas Inquisition. He really wasn't in the mood for it. They're not at home, he said. I checked everywhere. Santa stroked his beard. Did you check the chimney? He said. People get stuck up the chimney all the time. He was, of course, speaking from experience. They weren't in the chimney, Finklefoot said. I hope they weren't in the chimney, he thought. Maybe they killed each other, Mrs. Claus said, sidling up to the great throne and wrapping a long sensual leg around its arm. Yes, Finklefoot said, and then buried each other in the backyard. His sarcasm went straight over the stripper's head, but Santa's frown suggested he got it just fine. This is most troublesome, Santa said, forcing a minced pie between his mustache and his beard. Two chews later, he said, has this ever happened before? Finklefoot cast his mind back as far as he could. There was the one time when Rat and Gizzo went missing. He remembered it well, for it caused quite a stir at the time. Ah, yes. Remind me again. Where did you find them? Locked in the licorice warehouse, Finklefoot said. Been there all weekend, too, hadn't they? Yes, yes, I remember. Santa huffed impatiently. Ate their way through quite a lot, if my memory serves me correctly, little fuckers. Do you want me to check the licorice warehouse, Finklefoot said, even though it was the last thing he wanted to do? No, I don't think that's necessary, said Santa. I would have heard from Hattie if she had opened up this morning only to find a couple of engorged, black-lipped elves running amok. Hattie Quinn was the chief of operations over at the licorice factory, and the fat bastard was right. If she had found Jimbo and Sissy, she would have already been in touch, no doubt, with a few stern words and a keep-your-feckin'-workshop-in-order. Well, if there's nothing else, Finglefoot said, backing away from the throne, I really must be getting on with... We'll go look for them together, Santa said, pushing his huge wobbly form into some sort of a neat arrangement or as neat as was possible with such a cumbersome shape. Finklefoot and Santa, just like old times. We've never done this before, Finklefoot said, and I really have to get back to nonsense, Santa boomed. His wife clenched her breasts to prevent them from vibrating. Elves don't just go missing. As your boss and superior, pretty much the same thing, Finklefoot thought but daren't say, I'm ordering you to accompany me on this quest to find Sispo. We can't have our elves scared of walking the le- the streets at night. This is the land of Christmas, where joy and laughter spread like wildfire and chlamydia. We will find those missing elves, and we will parade them in front of the entire workshop before clocking off time today, or my name's not Chris Kringle, and your name's not Feebleford. Finklefoot, sir. Right. The first place we're going to check is the stables. Santa took a long, hard slug of brandy and hissed, exhaling his alcohol and mince pie-infused breath over Finklefoot. For now, for all we know, Blitzen had another titty fit and rendered them both unconscious. Is there anything I can do, Mrs. Claus said, draping herself suggestively over the recently vacated throne. With her husband gone, she was free to do whatever she so desired, which meant a couple of the boys from the shop floor would be in for a treat before lunchtime. No, my little angel, Santa said, looming over her like some unstable tower made of jelly and hair. You just sit there and look sexy until I get back. He kissed her on the nose. If you need anything, and I mean anything, just get one of the elves to do it. Oh, she will, thought Finglefoot. You can bet your fat ass that she will. I really don't think I'm cut out for this detective malarkey, Finklefoot said, hoping for a last-minute exoneration. I don't even have a gimmick. You're an elf, Santa said. How much more of a gimmick do you need? And so they left the office. And then the workshop. And then the workshop grounds. 
for the stables were kept a few miles away, where the smell of reindeer shit couldn't hurt anyone's nostrils. That is the end of chapter seven. Oh, you're drawing dicks. Uh, well, I'm glad. I, this this is uh, this is troubling for you. I'm sorry, but I would think it'd be okay audio for drawing dicks. But thank you for listening. <laughs> chapter eight. You won't get away with this, Jimbo said. Well, that's what he meant to say, but the way he'd been stitched to his wife's backside prevented him from it coming out like that. Ooh, that tickles, Sissy said, and not in a good way. Can you not do that, Jimbo? They were both on hands and knees, their ligaments cut to prevent them from standing. Jimbo's face was wedged into his wife's rear. Only his wide and frightened eyes were visible above the crack. To be quite frank, both had better mornings. The hooded figure wiped his bloody hands on his apron and grinned. The operation had gone better than he expected, but after all, he was working from a drawing that could have been a Michael J. Fox doodle. Still, he had no... boy. Ah, okay. Still, he had no need for the sketch. The masterpiece was ingrained in his mind, tattooed on his brain like a brain tattoo. Excellent, the figure said. See, I told you it wouldn't hurt, didn't I? You did, Sissy said, but you didn't tell me that you were going to stitch my husband's head to my asshole. Surprise, the figure laughed. Would you rather it was the other way around? I can always unpick the stitches and start from scratch. To hell with that, Sissy said, tottering to one knee. We had curry yesterday. Then quit whining and get used to your new configuration. He walked across the room, picked up a clipboard, and began to flip pages. The pages were, of course, all blank, but flipping them and staring down at them intently was something that came with the job. You weren't qualified as a surgeon if you couldn't handle a clipboard. Why are you doing this, sissy whined, forgetting that she had just been ordered not to? It's a long story, the figure said. Actually, it wasn't. Like truths from a politician's mouth and autobiography, it was a very short story, but he couldn't be bothered to go into it. Besides, it was none of her business. He told her that all want to know, and that would finally ruin the surprise when the time finally came to scream it from the rooftops. Is it Santa? She pressed. Humph, humph! Jimbo interjected. No, I will not shut up, Sissy screeched. If you're going to be hanging out of me like an elfish tapeworm for the rest of my damn life, I want to know why. To the figure, who looked so smart and genuine as he flipped through the pages attached to his clipboard, she said, It's Santa, isn't it? The fat bastard's done something to piss you off. Well, join the club, you hooded freak. No one likes him, not even his wife. Do you see us going around abducting people in the dead of night and cutting them up and sewing them back together in the wrong order? Humphrey! Will you stop talking, Jimbo? I can feel every breath on my kidney, and I don't appreciate it. Both of you pipe down, the maniac said. Nothing you say will save you. The wheels are already in motion, and things are going to get a lot worse before they get... Actually, I was going to say better, but they're just actually going to get a lot worse. Sorry about that. Sissy did something that she had been trying to hold on to behind her. Jimbo gagged. Now I have a little surprise, the lunatic said. Wait here. He popped out through the door and at the end of the room, sticking his head back momentarily to add, Oh, that's right. You can't go anywhere. Well, stay anywhere before disappearing again. Hurrah, Jimbo said, shaking his head and subsequently Sissy's backside. Yes, he's definitely a few knives short of a cutlery drawer, said Sissy. I wonder what he's got against the fat bastard. I mean, Santa has a strange way of pissing people off. But this guy, well, this guy's holding quite a grudge. Humph, Jimbo opined, rolling his eyes. Santa must have slept with the dude's missus, Sissy repeated. No, I don't think so. He's punching above his weight as it is with that slut of his. He wouldn't dare cheat on her. They're crazy in love. Humph, Jimbo said. She's fucking most of the elves at the workshop, including the ugly ones. From the guitar string crew? Sissy didn't 
couldn't believe such a ridiculous allegation. Maybe her husband was hallucinating. He had, after all, lost a lot of blood and inhaled a fair amount of gas. She wouldn't believe a muffled word that passed his lips until they were out of there, separate once again. Suddenly, something thumped just beyond the door. It was all Sispo could do to stay on their knees. Now, don't give me any shit, you red-nosed cunt, the voice of the maniac hissed. A second later, the door flew open and the hooded beast came in. At the end of his arm was a hand, and in that hand were a set of reins. And at the end of those reins was what looked like a very reluctant reindeer with a nose so bright. The fat bastard could have used it to see through fog if he was so inclined and if the sleigh didn't have a headlight. Rudolph, Sissy gasped. Rudolph. Jimbo concurred. Now either he's going on your face, he told Sissy, or his backside. He pointed at Jimbo. Sissy shook her head. This must be some kind of nightmare. I'll wake up in a minute covered in sweat. You know what? Put the damn reindeer on Jimbo's ass. Jimbo whined. What the fuck is going on here? Rudolph thought, almost certain that the man at the end of the reins didn't know who he was or how much trouble he was going to be in for kidnapping Santa's most infamous sleigh puller. Very well, the hooded beast said, tucking the recalcitrant reindeer across the room. It was hard work like shifting a fridge that had been standing in the same place for several centuries. Once the creature's ligaments were cut, though, it would be plain sailing. This is going terribly well, thought the lunatic. It was shaping up to be the best Christmas ever. That is the end of chapter nine. Cheers. I am curious as to why uh, you're drawing dicks, Um, or if that's just a joke. Because certainly there are people who draw a lot of dicks. No judgments. On to chapter 10. The stables were a mess when Finglefoot and the fat bastard arise. <laughs> Drawing dicks is a hobby. Nice. Stables are not known for their excessive cleanliness at the best of times, but these were so bad, even the reindeer looked ashamed. There was hay where there shouldn't have been, and the walls had been sprayed with a thick coating of magical deer feces, although it wasn't so magical when it was dripping down the fixings. What's wrong with this picture, Santa said, glancing around the moseying reindeer and the mess they'd made. Finklefoot frowned. Looks like a stable, he said, but slightly messier. He couldn't help but feel as if they were wasting their time down here. They should have been in the village, where there was a whole lot more of nothing to be seen. What's that song, said said, you know, the one about the reindeer. He looked perplexed as if he had been given a Rubik's Cube with only three sides. Yeah, that would be perplexing. Ah, I know the one you mean, Finklefoot said, nodding. That annoying one about the bullies. That's the one, Santa said, clicking his fingers. What does that one go like? Da, 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 Finklefoot said. It sounded like no song he'd ever heard before, but he was working through the lyrics in his head. That was what mattered. Da, 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 dasher and dancer and prancer and vixen. Santa grimmed. Da, 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 Comet and Cupid and Donner and Blitzen. They both sang the last part together, though sang is perhaps not the right word for it. But do you recall the masked famous reindeer of all? It says masked, like a like a boat. Uh, Rudolph, the... Where the fuck is Rudolph, Santa said. Finglefoot glanced around the stables. They all looked the same to him. It was like trying to pick happy feet out of a colony of penguins. But wasn't there something different about Rudolph, something that made him stand out? Is Rudolph the one with the gamey leg, Finklefoot said. No, that was Olive. We had her put down three decades ago. Santa moved amongst the reindeer. He looked absolutely mortified. Rudolph's the one with the bloody great big red nose, and she's not here. Now, Finklefoot was even more confused. She? What kind of name is Rudolph for a lass? No one knows whether it's a boy or a girl, Santa said, grabbing Vixen by the head and then pushing him or her away again. We don't have access to Wikipedia up here. I've always thought it was a bit of an odd name for a doe. It doesn't make it any easier that both males and females grow antlers. I mean, it's as if God is intentionally trying to confuse me. 
Wow, you learn something new every day, Finklefoot said, though he doubted it would prove useful information anytime soon. She's not here. Rudolph's not fucking here. Fran Santa was frantic, moving from one re reindeer to the next. A couple of elves going missing I could probably deal with, but people are going to notice if I'm flying over the cities next week with only eight shagging reindeer. Finglefoot removed his pointy hat, scratched his head, and said, Maybe this Rudolph character got tired of being coerced. Is it possible that your most famous reindeer has, or, for want of a better word, absconded? Santa gasped. How dare you? My reindeer are extremely happy here. At the opposite side of the stable, Blitz and Donner and the six other reindeer shook their heads. No, this is the work of our kidnapper. They've taken Rudolph. Oh, my poor, poor Rudolph. It was all very melodramatic, like something from a daytime soap opera. All that was missing was the cheesy background music and fake tears. It had the desired effect, though, and Finklefoot suddenly felt as if he should say something. Who wrote that song anyway? What? The fat bastard frowned. The song, Finklefoot said. The one about the reindeer. Who wrote it? I mean, shouldn't you guys be getting royalties or something? Come on, Santa said, marching across the stables with renewed vigor. We've got a reindeer rustler to find. Not to mention an elf abductor. Finklefoot thought something very bad was happening, and it was happening a week before the big day when it would hurt them the most. Somebody was trying to ruin Christmas. And for once, it had nothing to do with him. Chapter 11. I feel like these chapters are flying by, everybody. Mm, mm, 11. Have yourself a merry little Christmas, the hooded maniac sang as he peeled the flesh away from the elf's buttocks. Let your arse be light, he laughed. The elf Jimbo did not, for he was too busy shrieking and sobbing and wondering what was going to be left of his derriere once the lunatic had finished with it. He liked his bottom. He'd grown quite attached to it over the centuries. Strange how one doesn't truly realize how important one's anatomy is until it's being flayed from one's personage. Oh, calm down, Sissy called back over across her shoulder. Her husband ceased screaming and rolled his eyes. Honestly, I've never heard anything like it. To their abductor, she said, don't suppose you have any of that numbing cream, do you? That stuff they use for tattooing wimps? Jimbo's never been very good when it comes to pain. I once had to talk him through a bout of wind. Poor Git thought he was dying. Unfortunately, the figure said, making an incision just next to Jimbo's crack, I ran out of numbing cream last week. I had a tricky splinter. Your husband's just going to have to man up and take it like an elf. Did you hear that, Jimbo? Sissy said. No pain relief. I'd suggest biting your lip, but your mouth's a little too far inside me and ow, you little bastard. In the corner of the room, tethered to a vending machine of all things, Rudolph whinnied and chuffed. He'd got the gist of what was going on. He didn't like it one bit. His nose, usually bright and red, and at least 200 watt was now dark and soft and about as illuminating as a set of Vauxhall Velox headlights in a mine shaft. There's a nice English reference for you. <laughs> Don't worry, Rudy, the dark figure said, dropping a lump of severed flesh into a kidney-shaped bowl. This is what you've been waiting for. You're the most famous reindeer. And for what? For helping Santa out on a foggy night. Not much of a legacy, if you ask me. So I'm going to make you famous for something else, something truly remarkable. I'd rather you didn't, Rudolph thought. You're going to be the only reindeer in the human Santapede. Won't that be something to tell your grandkids, huh? Wait a minute, Sissy said. Did you just call it a human centipede? Coughing, the maniac said, indeed I did. But so far you've got a couple of elves and a reindeer, and you plan to put Santa at the front? The figure already knew where this was going, but decided to play along anyway. That's right. But we're not human 
Santa's technically not human, and I don't know whether you've noticed, but Rudolph is about as far from human as you can get. It's the antlers, you see. They're a dead giveaway. The shrouded figure grimaced. He had wondered how long it would be before someone noticed a flaw in his plan. I'm fully aware that the species involved aren't necessarily human. And yet you decided to stick with the name anyway? Sissy shook her head and clicked her tongue. Behind her, Jimbo did the same. Surely the inhuman centipede would make more sense. Well, I did consider that for a moment, the lunatic said, but it didn't quite have the same ring to it. But it makes more sense. But it sounds wrong. Yes, but people are going to see us, aren't they? And they're going to see us and stand back and go, what's it called? And another one will say, oh, it's this human centipede. And someone will say, but it doesn't have any humans in it. And then the other will say, hey, he's bloody right. I, all I see are elves and reindeer and the fat bastard, none of which are human. And they're all just going to walk away because no one likes a cheap display. Have you quite finished? Yes, Sissy said after 10 seconds of silence, during which the time many cogs and wheels turned and whirred in her head, she added, you could always put the in part in brackets. I mean, the brackets in human centipede still doesn't make much sense, but at least it's not. Look, I've already decided, the figure said, untethering Rudolph and dragging the poor beast unceremoniously across the room. You start putting brackets on things, you're just going to make things worse. That's why meatloaf songs are terrible. Well, don't say I didn't warn you, Sissy said. Jimbo groaned. Okay, I'll ask him, Sissy said. Mr. Madman, my husband would like to know if you're going to be removing the reindeer's antlers before you attach it to his arsehole. Tell your husband that I was considering it, but then his wife mocked my choice of name, and now I'll be leaving the antlers right where they are. Sissy sighed. Hubby, it's time to man up. Jimbo began to cry. And that is the end of chapter two. I'd like to comment that it is British, and the way that this guy spells feces is with this extra A in there, and uh, it's like faces, F-A-E. See, I have to, you know, it's one of those things you read it and you're like, I have to change it, change the spelling of it in my mind. Otherwise I will say faces, which I don't believe is how they say it. I believe they say faces in England. Maybe they do say faces. If anyone is listening from England, please let us know. Chapter 12. There are certain things that love does to a man, things that turn him to jelly or render him stupid. So when Santa returned to the office to discover his wife dressing and a trio of breathless elves leaving, without making eye contact, of course, he thought nothing of it. Finglefoot, on the other hand, was not in love with Mrs. Claus, and there knew exactly what had just happened. Ah, darling, Mrs. Claus said as she rolled her stockings up, I wasn't expecting you back so soon. I was just instructing a couple of the elves from the RC department on how sensitive the steering controls should be on those new 15-inch Porsches. That's good, Santa said, slumping into his throne. The throne practically called out for help beneath him. You're doing a fantastic job, Jessica. Keep up the good work. Mrs. Claus smiled. Finglefoot grimaced as he noticed the elf pube protruding from her front teeth. As she limped across the room, elves have notoriously large penises despite being small everywhere else. She regarded Finglefoot with something akin to disgust, as if she couldn't trust an elf that didn't find her attractive. The fact of the matter was, Finglefoot found her just as attractive as all the other elves. He just didn't want sloppy 850 seconds. I take it you didn't find the missing elves, she said, pulling a clear heel onto her left foot. Not only that, Santa said, but some thieving bar steward has taken Rudolph. This... This book, this book was clearly not uh, copy edited or uh, spell. Someone used spell correct oddly. Bar, thieving bar steward has taken Rudolph. Taken who? Jessica Claus knew less about the reindeer than even her husband. If you were to ask her the difference between a reindeer and a normal deer, she would say the latter came with umbrellas. Ah, 
That is a bad joke. Uh, Rudolph, Santa said, the red-nosed reindeer, you remember all those years ago when we had that bit of fog? Oh, that one, Mrs. Claus said. Well, why would they take that one? I mean, is there a black market for glowing noses? Maybe we're missing something, Finklefoot said, edging towards the door. It seemed like the start of a habit, and if past edgings were anything to go by, that's why I want you to look into it, Santa said, stroking his beard before wedging a large piece of Christmas pud. I know it's pud. (laughs) I want to say pud. A large piece of Christmas pud. I don't know. I'm still struggling with it between it. Lord knows where he'd got it from, but I've already told you Finklefoot said incredulous. I'm not a private investigator. I'm just a foreman, a foreman with a shitload of work to do. So if you don't mind a promotion, Santa said so suddenly that he almost choked on a mouthful of currants. Finklefoot stopped moving and started listening. How would you like to be my second in command? Huh? I've always thought highly of you. We could be like the dynamic duo, Batman and Robin, Starsky and Hutch, Wallace and Gromit, Mrs. Claus sneered to her husband's side as she said, I thought I was your second in command. She looked positively humiliated. It was a look Finklefoot thought that suited her very well. Santa grinned sheepishly. You can both be my second in command, he said. As far as I'm concerned, you can never have too many. What are the perks? Finklefoot was genuinely intrigued. Well, I'll have you write up a whole new set of prerequisites for you, since most of my wife's bonuses are of a sexual nature, but I shall make it worth your while and you will never have to work overtime again. My wife and I would like a bigger house, Finklefoot said, away from the rest of the village. Neither of us are anti-neighbor, but we're both a little sick of being woken up at five in the morning to the chirpy high-pitched sounds of hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work we go. Third dwarves. I think that can be arranged, said the fat bastard. Don't let him hold you to ransom, Mrs. Claus said, massaging her husband's plentiful shoulders. One minute he'll want a bigger house, the next minute you're calling them sir and shining their shoes. And I want all of my crew and my wife to have next year off. Sounds doable, Santa said. Nobody really likes dolls anyway. One year without them is hardly going to make a difference. And if I find out what's happening here, I want a song. What? See, Mrs. Claus said. Now he wants a fucking song. It's only fair Rudolph got one for saving Christmas. That was ages ago. I want a song about how I solved this mystery. I want Elton John to write it, and I want it to be Christmas number one for the next three years running. And played on human radio for the next hundred years or so. What if Elton John's busy, Santa said. Then Barry Gibb will do as long as he doesn't actually sing it. I don't want it to be remembered as that high-pitched song about the brave elf. Santa stood, walked across the room, and poured a large brandy. Though it sounded like three very quick actions, it actually took three minutes, by which time Finklefoot had grown very tired of the intense glower from Mrs. Claus. Okay, you can have whatever you want, Santa said, ran a hand over his clammy, bald head. I just want this solved quickly and discreetly. If news of this gets out to the other elves, there will be a national panic. Before you know it, we'll have a whole village of anxious elves, and anxious elves do not a great toy maker or make, or something like that. Finklefoot smiled, unsure if he had got himself a good deal or not. He hadn't wanted anything to do with this a moment ago, and now he was spearheading it. Now he knew how most American presidents felt. Then I'm going to need a way to keep in touch with you, the elf said. There was a very good chance things were about to get dangerous, and if things were about to get dangerous, Finglefoot wanted to be able to notify the fat bastard at the drop of a hat. Jessica, be a darling and have Scrat bring up one of his walkie-talkie sets. Santa said, anything in particular, Mrs. Claus said to Finglefoot. You strike me as a Hello Kitty fan. It doesn't matter, said Santa. Just get one up here pronto. Mrs. Claus, visibly offended by her husband's terseness, walked across the room, her hips grinding together like a pair of club seals. Uh, that's a strange image. Uh, she opened the office door and stepped out into the mezzanine. Scrat! She had the voice of an angel, if said angel had a mouthful of jellied eels. Walkie-talkies now! She sauntered back into the office and headed for her pole. 
Santa arches eyebrows. I might live to regret this, but he stood and walked across the office where a six by eight watercolor of the fat bastard himself adorned the wall. He slid the painting slightly to the left, revealing a small safe. It's not that I don't trust you or anything, but can you look at my wife for a few seconds while I turn the knobby whatchamacallit? I'd rather not, Finklefoot said, but before he knew it, his eyes had settled upon Mrs. Claus as she completed rotation after rotation on the pole. Limbs blurred together to make, well, it looked like as if an octopus was having a seizure. There's a lot of really bad metaphors happening right now. Uh, anyway, Finklefoot had to admit it was rather mesmerizing. It wasn't until a chubby, heavy hand fell on his shoulder that he snapped out of it. This has been in the Claus family for generations, Santa said. He was holding a small box with a gilt trim and red velvet sides. On the top engraved into a solid gold plaque was the name Claus. It was, Finklefoot thought, the kind of a box that could only contain invaluable treasure. So when Santa popped it open to reveal a cheap plastic water pistol, Finklefoot checked the corners of the room for hidden cameras. It's, it's plastic, Finklefoot said. Either Santa was lying about the family heirloom or had completely lost his marbles. It's whatever it wants to be, Santa said, removing the pistol from the box. This year, the most of the toys we're making are plastic, and so it adapts to fit in. He held the water pistol out for Finglefoot to take. The elf wasn't sure he could trust an object that could alter its material at will. It wants you to take it. It's a very powerful weapon. Well, water is often referred to as the bullet of the tap, Finglefoot said, his voice drenched with sarcasm. He accepted the pistol regardless. Ho, 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 it doesn't fire water, Santa said. Finglefoot frowned. Then what does it? You summon me, a flustered elf said, practically falling into the office. Ah, scrat, Santa said. I trust you have brought a set of your fine walkie-talkies. The elf glanced down at the box. In his hand, these are my new Spider-Man walkie-talkies, he said with pride. They have a good range, and if you push a button on the side, it makes a sound like the green goblin. Santa nodded. They will do nicely. To Finklefoot, he said, what do you say, my dear elf? Are you up to the task of saving Christmas? Finklefoot turned the water pistol over in his hand and shrugged. Aren't weapons meant to make one feel safe, protected, a little bit better off than not having a weapon? I guess. Fantastic, Santa said. Scrat, these things have batteries, don't they? The elf frowned. In the box, but there's just one and it's flatter than Britney Spears without auto-tune. Wait, do you want me to get some good batteries? That would be useful, Santa said, snatching the box from Scrat and stripping the package away with eight stumpy digits and a couple of fat thumbs. It was like watching a muzzled dog attempt to thread a needle. Fingerfoot took a deep breath and prayed for something to strike him down where he stood. That is the end of chapter 12. I cannot believe we have reached 12 chapters in this book. I am going to run to the refrigerator for one second. Okay, back in the saddle again for chapter 13. And I'm currently drinking a can of uh, Santa-inspired Fistmas beer. Brewed in Chicago by Revolution Brewing. Not a sponsor. In fact, no one is a sponsor. Unless you support me on Patreon, which is unlikely. <laughs> anyway, chapter 13. The licorice factory on the other side of the land of Christmas was the kind of place that sounded nice and yet had all the endearing qualities of Guantanamo Bay. Elves were crammed so tightly together there was barely room to swing a door, a dormouse. The conditions could only be described as iffy, and the elf in command of the whole thing, Hattie Herman, was an insidious little creature with small silver buns sitting atop her huge head and a face constructed entirely from wrinkles. She worked the elves hard and got the respect she deserved, brackets at least to her face, which was why the licorice factory ran like a tight ship. They were in fact three years in front of their stock, and yet Hattie showed no signs of relenting. As far as she was concerned, you give an elf an easy time for one year, the next time it's like trying to light a firework that's been left out in the rain. It was best to maintain the mercy 
merciless schedule despite the current overstock. Besides, kids love licorice and old people. It was just the 50-year gap between that they needed to work on. Hattie marched through the factory, dipping her fingers in things that would have scalded a normal elf. Elves leapt to attention, saluting her as she passed. As soon as she was gone, though, fingers were jabbed into the air and mutterings were made. Occasionally, though, though very rarely, she would catch one of the workers flipping her the bird, and those moments she relished. Making an example of scallywag elves, brackets, or cunt elves, as she liked to call them, was what she did best. Sometimes she would have one dipped in a vat of something boiling. Others she would string up to the ceiling like broken Christmas lights. One of the elves, Ginger something or other, had spent an entire week sitting naked atop the black licorice Christmas tree in the foyer, or foyer. Sitting atop was not perhaps the best way to describe it, for the branches almost certainly went inside the poor fellow, and all because he'd called her a bitch-faced whore from the planet, go fuck yourself. Some people just can't take an insult. Taste this, Hattie said, jabbing a warty finger dripping with goo into the general direction of a terrified worker. The worker elf gagged but managed to conceal it with a cleverly timed cough. Go on, I'm not moving until you sucked it off. The elf, whose name was Blix, brackets not that it truly mattered, slowly moved towards the finger, closing her eyes and trying to control her quivering lips. Hattie grinned, for she was a repulsive little bitch. Make sure you get it all, she said. I hate sticky fingers. The trembling lips enveloped knobbly digit, and then when they came away, the dark goo was entirely gone. What does it taste like to you? Hattie asked, frowning so much that her forehead was almost consternated in on itself. Concert, nah, I don't think, well, concert, concertine, yeah, whatever. That is not a word that I know of. Uh, finger, Blick said, and salt. That's right, Hattie said, wiping her finger on the worker elf's apron. It's too salty. I wouldn't serve that one to one of the fat bastard's reindeers. But I, I follow the recipe to the word, Blick said. Well, that's where you went wrong, said Hattie. Times are changing. Humans don't like salt as much as they used to. They're always campaigning against it. Sugar, too. It makes our job a living hell. We have to move with the times. She slapped Bix once across the face, hard enough to leave a bright red handprint. Consider that a warning. Less salt from now on. I'll be back this afternoon, and if I'm not happy, I'll make it my personal goal to have you dispatch to the human world where you will spend the rest of your days playing Munchkin 47 in the West End. Do I make myself clear? Less salt, Blix said, fingering the slap mark on her cheek. Got it. Good, now go and wash your mouth out. You don't know where my finger has been. And with that, the worker elf disappeared in a flurry of arms and legs. Hattie's smile revealed a mouthful of rotten popcorn teeth. It was one of the downfalls of running a licorice factory. She finished her afternoon inspection and headed out for some fresh air. The automaton road cleaners had finished clearing the street, which meant that she could once again see the fat bastard's workshop up on the top of the hill. Music, ding-dong merrily on high, of course, drifted across the village. Hattie wished someone would change the tape. She lit a candy cigarette and exhaled a plume of green and red smoke into the air. Ah, it was like heaven, but without all the righteousness and beards. She'd managed to cut down to 50 a day, which was much better than the 100 she had been smoking, but old habits die hard, and at least she had knocked the eggnog on the head. It was snowing again, though not as heavily as the previous three days. Hattie didn't know why the fat bastard couldn't simply pick up the whole operation and drop it in the Bahamas. It wasn't as if he'd signed a lease or anything. There was nothing keeping them here. In the freezing conditions with the persistent snow and occasional fog, it would be nice, Hattie thought, to have a tan, if only for a few days. She and every elf in the land of Christmas were pastier than a gaggle of Irish sunblock testers. That does sound quite a pale and freckly. Hattie finished her smoke and was about to head back into the factory when something caught her eye, a dark shape just in the periphery of her vision. But when she looked, there was nothing but the corner of the factory and a pile of gathered snow. Now, Hattie wasn't mad, at least not in the psychological sense of the word, so when she thought she saw something, chances were good that she did, in fact, see something. What in the name of buggery? She 
slowly waddled along the cleared path beside the factory wall, being careful not to slip. Someone was there. She could see their breath as it crystallized in the air. Whoever it was, they thought they had the upper hand, but you have to get up early in the morning to catch out old Hattie Herman. I'm not in the mood for this, she called out. Whoever is there, you might as well give up. I've got a splitting headache and a thousand elves to mistreat. So the hulking dark figure stepped out from its hiding place. What was it? Was it the breath? It was the breath, wasn't it? I fucking knew it. Hattie recognized that voice, but she couldn't quite place her finger on it. The trickster's hood did a remarkable job of concealing his identity. Who are you and what are you doing lurking around my factory like some drunken ninja? Everyone knows what a drunken ninja looks like and acts like, right? The shrouded figure hissed. I'm looking for a few good men, he said. Well, elves to be more specific, and I have it on good authority that you're a bit of a nasty bitch with elves to spare. Now you just hold on a minute. I'll make it worth your while, (laughs) the figure said. Fifty elves of your choosing, and I promise not to include you in my masterpiece. How does that sound? What masterpiece? Who are you? Are you a little bit crazy? Miss Herman, I'm perfectly sane, the beast said, which is why I'm giving you this opportunity to save yourself. I don't have elves to spare, she said, and whoever said I did obviously doesn't know a thing about licorice. She thought in silence for a moment, and the hooded figure watched, licking his jet black lips with anticipation. This masterpiece, would it have anything to do with the big man? If by big man you mean the big fat bastard, then yes it would. Hattie's frown turned into something more affable. She looked as if she'd just been told she'll never have to look at another fucking licorice all sort for as long as she should live. Is it something terrible, she said evilly? Is it something that will really annoy him greatly? The figure waved her question away with an indifferent hand. It's much worse than that, he said, rubbing his spider-like fingers together. It's something that he's had coming to him for a very, very long time. Hattie Herman turned and marched away, leaving the shrouded maniac standing there, confused and unsure if he should have just knocked her on the head when he'd had the chance. Then she stopped and turned back. Are you coming or not? She said. These 50 L's probably aren't going to volunteer. Beneath the hood, the beast grinned a mouthful of razor sharp teeth. End of chapter 13. Time for a reward sip. Not bad. Chapter 14. The surgery, for that's what it was, despite its lack of clear signage, broken elevators, and just about adequate cleanliness, was almost silent. The lunatic had gone off to gather more links for his sickening chain. No doubt he had left the trio, though now, thanks to the beast's adroitness with a sharp knife and a needle and thread, they were a single organism with an explicit set of rules and the knowledge that should they break any of the rules, they would be held to pay. Rule one, don't try to escape. There was no way out and it would therefore be impossible. A waste of time. Why not sing a song instead? Or in the case of Rudolph and Jimbo, hum one. Rule two, no Justin Bieber, see rule one. Rule three, try to keep the screaming to an absolute minimum. This is a very nice neighborhood, and the last thing people want is an incessant screeching ruining their day. Rule four, try not to move around too much. The stitches are new and liable to come away should enough force be used. This might sound great to you, brackets EA freedom, but I assure you that would not be the case. A very painful few minutes to follow, then due to massive blood loss, death. Why not sing a song instead? Rule five, no Katy Perry, see rule one. They were very clear rules, and since there were only five of them, not too difficult to remember. They were very clear rules, since there were only five of them, not too difficult to remember. One would have to be an absolute idiot to disregard them. Shall we try to escape, Sissy said, pushing up to her elbows? Oof, said Jimbo. Poof, 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 whined Rudolph. Yes, I know that the lunatic said, but we've been here for hours now, and I'm starting to get a little pissed off with this whole thing. She scanned the room, looking for anything that might be of use. The nutter had taken the bag of sharp objects with him. The sharpest thing in the room now were Rudolph antlers, and one of those was still wedged inside her husband. Still, a tiny light bulb appeared in the air above her head before disappearing just as quickly. Rudolph, you're a sentient beast, aren't you? I mean, you know what I'm saying right now, yes? Rudolph said, which was good enough for Missy. How are you at picking locks? 
said the reindeer, which was not the answer Sissy had been hoping for. Typical, Sissy said, you can fly, but not only that, you can pull a sleigh laden with toys and a clinically obese saint at the same time, but when it comes to sticking your antler in a lock and giving a little wiggle, you're about as useful as a pair of tits on a fish. Am I right? <sighs> Rudolph shrugged. Well, we're just going to have to improvise, Sissy said. After three, we start walking towards the door. Everyone understand? Murph, Murph, Jimbo asked. What are you going to do when we get there, Sissy echoed. We're going to attempt to get the hell out of here. I'm going to line Rudolph up with the keyhole, and whether he likes it or not, he's going to stick his free antler in it and jiggle it till we hear a click. Feeling that, we're going to have to lie down and wait for the maniac to return. Murph, Murph, ah, oh, Murph to Gurf. No, it doesn't sound like much of a plan, Sissy said, but it's better than any Anything either of you have come up with, and don't give me the old, oh, we can't suggest anything because our faces have been stitched to our arseholes pretext. I can understand you just fine, so if either of you have had any bright ideas, now's the time to speak or mumble or whatever. Silence, and then Rudolph farted. Sissy didn't envy the poor bastard that was going to be on the back of the reindeer. So on the count of three, Sissy said, suddenly glad she was the one leading this incongruous expedition. One, two, murf, woof, woof. Are we going on the count of three or after three? Sissy growled, clearly annoyed with her husband. It doesn't fucking matter. I'll be surprised if we make it to the door at all. Jimbo said for some reason he had a terrible headache coming on. He had inhaled a lot of gas. Okay, one, two, three. What do you mean we're, you're stuck? Sissy shrieked. How can you be stuck on anything? First, Rudolph, Jimbo said, wiggling his backside. Oh, Rudolph, be a gent or lady and turn your head to the left so my husband can crawl without you tickling his ribs. Rudolph sighed, for reindeer are renowned for their lack of tolerance. This is true. The reindeer turned its head anyway, lest it never hear the end of it. One, two, three. Sissy edged forward. Jimbo did the same, and Rudolph, who was trying to wake itself up from this terrible nightmare, followed suit. Before long, they had gathered enough momentum to shift at a decent rate. They were never going to win any medals, but as the saying goes, slowly, slowly, catchy monkey. I guess that is another English saying. <laughs> Trouble was, the people who usually said it had never caught a monkey in their life or even chased one. We're halfway there, Sissy said. Doing very well. Hurf, Jimbo said. Out of breath, Sissy said. Incredulous. We've only covered three feet. If only, Jimbo thought, she was the one in the middle. Hurf, he said. Yes, I know you're attached to my bottom and therefore subsisting on little air you can suck through your minuscule nostrils. There's no excuse to start slacking. We've got an escape to make. Do you really want to be here when the freak comes back? Do you really want to get caught trying to escape when he clearly stated in his list of rules that it was absolutely fruitless and would result in a terrible punishment? Further, Rudolph said, has she always been like this? Jimbo replied, always, to be honest. I don't know why I ever married the old trout. I am here, you know, Sissy said, and I don't appreciate being called an old trout, Jimbo. You might want to catch what falls out of your mouth because I'm in complete control of what falls in it if you catch my drift. Jimby said, it says Jimby now instead of Jimbo, exclamation point, which was one more punctual then that was safe. Right, Sissy said, to the door, me hearties. She shuffled slowly forward, one knee and then the other, and, well, you get the idea. Seven minutes later, they were at the door, though Jimbo didn't know that, for he had passed out and was being held up between the other two like some sort of elfish spit roast. Yeah. Can you reach the hole, Rudolph? Sissy said across her shoulder. Rudolph said, not without tearing your husband's anus off. Well, try anyway, Sissy said. I don't know about you, but I've got a funny feeling we're running out of time. The funny feeling she was, in fact, talking about was a rumbly in her tumbly, an odd tickling sensation on the back of her neck and a strange burning sensation in her ears. She wasn't to know, but these were all side effects of the mild sedative the lunatic had injected in them before operating, and not a sign that their abductor was on his way back. 
back, which would have been a lot more impressive. Rudolph took a deep breath and exhaled, which inflated Jimbo so that he looked like one of those novelty Garfield balloons. Sure, we're all familiar with that. Pushing into his tendonless haunches, it reached up for the keyhole with its free antler. That's it, Sissy said. You're almost there. She was, of course, guessing. She couldn't see past her bloated husband. Rudolph managed to push the smallest part of the crown into the keyhole. There was an audible click, which didn't mean anything, but for a moment, it gave the reindeer hope. Now give it a wiggle, Sissy said. Pretend you're having a seizure. The reindeer didn't know what a seizure was, and so just shook its head back and forth repeatedly. 30 seconds later, the wooden door was a mess, but the lock was still locked. Thruff a mirth erg, Jimbo said, yawning. Did you miss anything? Yeah, Sissy parroted. Yeah, you miss Rudolph making a right pig's ear out of the door and... Please don't yawn inside me again. It's awfully off-putting. Rudolph went at the lock once again. There was no point at being careful anymore. If the lunatic came back now, he would see the damaged door and would know they had ignored rule one. No, it was time for urgency. Time for more force. Time to attack the lock with every ounce of its antler. What's he doing back there, Sissy yelled, though she couldn't quite hear herself or the raucous din emanating from the rear. It sounded like Pinocchio was being battered to death by a team of angry Transformers. Sure. Jimbo said. He's smashing the door. Well, tell him to keep it down a bit. There's no need to get all rowdy and trash the place. We're not Mexicans. Ignoring the whining woman at the front of the grotesque creation, Rudolph managed to force his free antler through the wood. Jimbo moaned as the other antler, the one inside him, twisted more than a little to the left. He'd never felt so much pain back there, and he'd been an altar boy as an elf child. Once Rudolph had a hole to work with, the wood came away pretty easy. Splinters flew across the room. Chipped paint rained on the two elves. Terracotta was an awful color for a door anyway. Before long, Rudolph had made a hole big enough for his head to fit through, and fit its head through it did, or at least as much of the attached elf's bottom allowed it to. What do you see? Sissy asked, hardly able to contain her excitement. They were almost out, almost free of this terrible surgical cold place with its raving lunatics and perpetual supply of butterfly stitches and gauze. Rudolph looked around. The truth of the matter was, it couldn't see much at all. Everything was dark and dirty. It was like pushing one's face against a black shroud. In fact, it was exactly like that. And then the darkness moved and Rudolph looked up to find the hooded lunatic staring down. Rudolph slowly retracted its head. Heard the murmur, it said. The dark lunatic has returned, Sissy said, frowning. Is that some kind of code like they use in those films with the spies and the... Oh, the dark lunatic has returned. Oh, I see. Okay, well, at least we tried. I'm going to pass out now for a while. Night, night. In the adjacent room, behind the shrouded figure, 50 confused elves who had been promised decent remuneration for an hour's work started to have second thoughts about the whole thing. The end of chapter 15. Oh, man, tell me. The hooded figure has returned. Oh, the drama. Tell me about it, Artie-ish. It is quite a book. A doozy of a book, as you, as you so eloquently said. More of this beer please man reading like this makes my my eyes hurt um and not just because of the content chapter 15 snow gently drifted down in the village elf children ran about the streets throwing snowballs and building men from snow which were aptly known as snowmen the first shift up at the workshop was about to finish which meant those elves working nights were getting ready for 12 hours of hard graft that, well, it may mean something different in England. And Finklefoot, who should have been standing in line with the rest of his gang, clock hard in hand, and yet wouldn't for a few good days thanks to piss-poor management and a group of odd disappearances, was severely pissed off. A snowball slammed into the side of his face, which didn't help matters. He turned, growled at a, a couple kids who in turn ran away, laughing and screaming in equal measure. You better run, you little f- 
He caught himself there, for it wasn't good for him to curse at children. He didn't want to be that elf, the one the kids avoided for being a grump. You start off with a growl, and before you know it, the elf kids are leaving bags of reindeer shit on your doorstep or scrawling bah humbug on your door in barely legible snow spray graffiti. It wasn't the kids' fault either. What were they expected to do with themselves when their parents were working silly hours at the workshop? The Christmas creche was at capacity, and there wasn't a school to speak of for education was as pointless as a Bible at a strip club. You either aspired to work the workshop, knocking out cheap toys at a rate most sweatshops would deem cruel, or you applied to work at the liquors factory where an eternity of ill treatment at the hands of Hattie Herman waited. It was surprising, therefore, that there weren't more deaths by suicide in the teenage elf population. Trudging through the snow, Fanglefoot didn't know what he was looking for or where his feet were taking him, just that he was moving and that moving could only be a good thing. The snow was deeper in places than others, which meant he had to be very careful where he stepped. Three times he'd had to drag himself out of a drift with his teeth, while nearby elf kids laughed and taunted no less. Being Santa's personal P.I. was not as much fun as it sounded. Just then, something hissed and cracked on his belt, and a deep and yet almost robotic voice said, Feeble fruit, are you there? Finglefoot plucked the Spider-Man walkie-talkie from his belt and pushed the button. It's Finglefoot, he said, shaking his head. And yes, of course I'm here. If I wasn't here, then where would I be? Ah, very good, said the fat bastard. I just thought I'd check in, you know. Make sure you haven't been kidnapped, too. I don't have to tell you how much that would affect our investigation. I should imagine it would draw the whole thing to an abrupt end, Finklefoot said. He stopped walking for a moment to admire a very well-crafted snow llama. It was nice to see some of the elf kids were thinking outside the box. It just occurred to me, said Santa, these disappearances are an inside job. Well, we live in a world set apart from humans, Finklefoot said, planting his face in his palm. Of course it's an inside job. Brilliant, Santa said. This is what I'm paying you for, even though he was not. Not really. So with that in mind, I thought you might want to check in on a couple of old companions, Sounds like something one of them might do, what with them being my dark minions and whatnot. Santa's companions. No two words send a shiver down Finklefoot's spine, quite like those apart from maybe anal beads or tax return. The companions were as mean as they came. Worse than that, they were so mean and big and dark they made Satan look like a 15-year-old cheerleader. Krampus, perhaps the most famous of the fat bastard's henchmen, with horns that would make a billy goat defecate with fear and a tongue that would make, well, Gene Simmons defecate with fear. Krampus was never going to win awards for his looks, unless there was a see-how-many-posits-you-can-stake-on-your-horns competition. Krampus was a mischievous beast, but a kidnapper? Next up, there was Bell Snickle, or Dirty Ass Santa, as he was known by the elves. Bell's Nickel, Bell Snickle, Bell's Nickel, whatever. Dark, Bell Nickel's, Bell, Bell's Nickel's dark Grammy beard had never once seen a drop of Pantene, and neither had the fur coat he insisted on wearing year in, year out, even though the fashion had changed an awful lot since 1101 AD. Would he be crazy enough to put himself on the fat bastard's naughty list? Then there was Zwarte Pete, or Black Pete as he was once known. Nowadays, he goes by the name of Not As White As Everyone Else Pete, which was far more PC than the alternative. Pete still wore a curly black wig he'd made on his own, and if anyone had a problem with that, they could simply go and fornicate themselves, but he had tried to tone it down on the blacking up so as not to upset some of the black elves. Was Pete behind this? Or maybe it was Connect Rupert, Santa's fourth and final companion, roughly translated as Farmhand Rupert, brackets much to his chagrin, 
Ruprecht was another filthy bearded son of a bitch. He had a gamey leg and limped everywhere, which made it highly unlikely he had anything to do with missing elves and reindeer. No, Finklefoot said as a response. It was a long time coming, but that was the only way to fit in the above introductions. No, Santa said. What do you mean, no? I mean, Finklefoot said that I would rather chew my own nutsack off than confront one of your old buddies. I'd rather chew your nutsack off, and I'm a vegetarian. Ho, ho, ho. There's nothing to be frightened of, the fat bastard said. With no conviction whatsoever, they're on our side. Well, at least three of them are. The other one, well, you'll find out soon enough. If one of them is responsible, mark my words, they'll rue the day. If one of them is responsible, Finklefoot thought, then it'll be me ruing the day for as long as they let me live anyway. And don't you think it's just a little bit dangerous, Finklefoot said? Oh, this is batshit insane, replied Santa, but an elf's gotta do what an elf's gotta do. Be sure to contact me if you find out more. And with that, the walkie-talkie hissed incessantly. Santa was gone, momentarily. Then he popped back to say, over and out, in the voice of the Green Goblin before disappearing again. Finklefoot stood there with a walkie-talkie in his hand for a good 15 minutes. It was only when a snowball clobbered him in the back of the head that he came to his senses. Talk to the companions. I'm going to die today, he said, before kicking the snow llama over with one brutal swipe of his foot. What do you mean he's on a mission for the fat bastard, Trixie said. We're supposed to be watching the last of Breaking Bad tonight on Netflix. Rat shrugged. Shart opened his mouth to speak before realizing he had nothing worthwhile to say, and Gizzo was too busy hammering pieces of wood together to notice she was even there. We're not happy about it either, Rat said, tossing a six-fingered doll arm into the reject bin. He's only gone and agreed for all of us to work straight through to Christmas Eve. He what? It's true, Shart said. I wouldn't mind, but I've left the gas on. Trixie couldn't believe what she was hearing. She'd and Finglefoot was a yes man when she'd married him, but this, well, this was the last straw that broke the llama's back. Of course, she wasn't to know that it was her husband's foot that had broke the llama's back. I'm not standing for this, Trixie said, rolling up her sleeves. If he shows up before I get my hands on him, be sure to tell him that he doesn't come home tonight. He'd better not come home at all. Do we have to say it in that voice, asked Rat? If it helps, replied Trixie, I think it might. Trixie turned and marched towards the clocking out machine where she clocked out three times hard before pushing her card into the slot with so much force it ended up looking like an origami swan. In the distance, there was an almighty explosion. Oops, Shart said. Don't suppose anyone has a spare room? Because he left the gas on. Chapter 16 is over and we are 49% done with the book. If you can believe that. This, I was not planning on reading this until 2 in the morning, but it's looking like that's going to happen. And I still won't finish. (laughs) Or maybe I should stop now. What do you think? It's tempting. It is tempting to stop now because this is painful. So maybe I will. It doesn't take much to dissuade me. I've been doing this since 11. So two hours of reading is a lot of reading to be doing about the human centipede. Where have we Where have we left off? Finklefoot being sent on sort of a wild goose chase to meet with the Krampus. Black Pete, Rupert, Rupert, and the other guy. Hoo, hoo, hoo. It is pretty late. Thank you for giving me permission to stop. But uh, the maniac has sewn together Sissy, Jimbo, and Rudolph with another 50 elves to add to the chain. Mrs. Claus is fucking all the elves. Santa seems oblivious. Hattie Herman has given away 50 elves. There's a lot of bad people in Christmas land. Maybe not bad, but not great either. But that's where we're going to leave it. Thank you so much for tuning in, for those of you who have tuned in. And I hope that uh, you have enjoyed it to some degree. <laughs> I think next time I will, I'm going to try to read on screen and have it be an extra screen on the on the stream. Won't that be special? Thank you very much for watching again. My name is Lou. This has been Lou Reads the Internet for You, a terrible book known as the Human Centipede Edition. Part two. Not, I don't think I can do it tomorrow. But before New Year's, I'm going to do 
I have an improv show tomorrow. So if you're in New York, come to the pit tomorrow to see three improvised sci-fi stories from the 1940s. Okay, that's it for me. We'll see you later. Happy holidays, everybody. Try not to get uh, your face on anyone's asshole. See you later.